My name is Rachel Johnson and I am the leader of Pixel, an organisation that works with 3,000 schools. Brilliant, thank you. So could you tell us a little bit about the mission of Pixel and the work that you do with schools and young people and uh, like just how was Pixel founded and the journey uh, to where you are now working with so many schools? Yeah. So <laughs> Pixel has been around for a number of years now, about 12, 13 years, and our mission is threefold. So first of all, we want to help raise life chances and outcomes for every young person. The second thing we want to do is influence leadership nationally. And the third thing we want to do is help schools become agents of change, because we believe that schools are the places where social change can happen. And it's the, that's the best place it can happen because we're in community with so many young people and together we can change things and we know that young people can change things. So that is what we stand for. Um, we started originally in a really kind of quite random way. The government asked Sir John Rowling, who founded Pixel, to do some work with the London Challenge to work with some really tough schools in London and to try and raise achievement. So he did that and they paid for that project and people loved it and the collaboration between schools and the achievement of students um, just massively increased and so they actually said can we extend that project which he did and then eventually they took the funding away often government projects come to an end so that ended and the school said please don't leave us we want to continue this and so he said well we'll just continue then and so he did and Pixel was born it stands for partners in excellence and that is really our plan to work with school leaders to partner in excellence and we've never advertised it's just grown from word of mouth from those 30 something schools to now having 3,000 schools across the country. Yeah, because I, I did have the privilege of speaking at one of your conferences and I and the and there's definitely a community community feel about Pixel and it's very supportive and a quite a yeah. vibrant conference really. It wasn't it yeah. wasn't it's not all kind of business suits and um no, it's it's a very vibrant um it is and it's people who want to make a difference it's teachers and school leaders who believe we have uh, the power to make a difference and what we try and do is give them strategy and resource and support to help them make a difference and sometimes that's just making them not feel like they're on their own and being together in collaboration so yeah we hope it is vibrant and positive and motivational inspirational that's what we hope but also informative too yeah brilliant thank you so can you tell us a little bit about your own career journey and how you got to the point where you were working well well you're the head of, of yeah. Pixel, um, <laughs> and just yeah kind of how you got to where you are so it's an interesting story really um so when I was about 11 I knew that I wanted to be a teacher and that was it I was absolutely set that's what I was going to do and that's what I ended up doing. So I um, went through school. I, was a, I wasn't an amazing student. I worked very hard, but it didn't always come naturally to me. But I, I tried really hard and I enjoyed studying. So I did uh, GCSEs. I did A-levels. I went to university. I then decided to do another degree after that and did an MA. And then at the same time as doing my MA in children's literature, I worked in a school in London for students who were dyslexic and also who had trouble with behaviour in school. It was a very small school, it was a little home school, and I was kind of head of English there at the same time as doing my MA and met the most amazing young people who just had a different view on the world to the one that I'd been brought up with. And that really furthered my ambitions to be a teacher and to make a difference. So I went to Cambridge and did a PGCE. 
and then I started teaching in the northeast of England where I'm from and started my first job in Stockton and loved teaching loved it loved it loved it I was head of English eventually and then became an assistant head and just found it the most fulfilling um, profession ever and actually my intention was to be a head teacher that's what I was going to do um, but then when I was 30, I was quite late to the party. I got married when I was 30 and then had three small children. And for me, found that being an assistant head teacher and being a senior leader, when I was going to be off a lot, having children in quite quick succession, really, I found that quite difficult to try and balance the two things. So what I decided I'd do was to leave that for just a little time, have my children and then go back in and then carry on ready to be a head teacher. But uh, the world had different plans for me. And so what ended up happening was I was approached by Pixel to write some English material to help schools nationally with English. I did that and I've never been back. So that was seven years ago. I left and had my three children, started working for Pixel. And then as I carried on working for them and with them, I took on more and more responsibility. So I ended up being head of strategy. Then I ended up um, heading up secondary, a big secondary division and strategy across the whole organization. And then, um, it, my, so John Rowling was my father. Um, he didn't want me to be involved in Pixel in that he didn't want it to be him who involved me. So other people were always the ones who did the negotiation with me. So they brought me into the organization. And then in September, we found out last September, 2019, we found out that he had a terminal illness. And so although he kept it very quiet, we knew that things were pretty serious. And so a succession plan began and the directors talked about who would take on the role of lead of Pixel in quite extreme circumstances. And so after much discussion and a whole little process, uh, they appointed me. So actually my dad died on the Friday in January and I was appointed on the Monday and led the main meeting on the Tuesday to tell people that I was taking over the leadership of Pixel and then went into a global pandemic. So um, <laughs> it's been an interesting six months, but um, yes, my career path has not gone where I thought it would go. I thought I'd be a head teacher by now in a, in a school somewhere, but actually what I'm doing now in enabling and helping head teachers and teachers in schools gives me so much fulfillment and so much joy. I absolutely love it. It sounds like you um, and Pixel and the whole mission has been mostly um, fueled by your passion to help young people and yeah. I think that's I think I, I felt that at the conference as well that everybody who is a part of Pixel does so for, for the children really and for the yeah, young people absolutely. and it absolutely. yeah definitely and kind of on that on that um note are there are there any and I imagine um your father as well but are there any particular people or organizations that helped and inspired your journey that's a really interesting question um my, my mum and dad certainly my mum and dad were both teachers my dad was a head teacher before he retired and started uh, pixel so watching them watching their love of teaching uh, my holidays all of my holidays as a child were spent with school groups so four times a year <laughs> we'd go every half term and in the summer holidays away with school groups and all of my memories are about that amazing time that we had and and the relationships that are formed when you are with young people. So that was a huge, huge influence on me as I grew up. But I think as I've gone through my life, I've watched what other people have done and I've learned from them. So I think there's a whole load of people that I've learned from, but I think the one person that I would, I would single out, I've just recently been reflecting on actually, and that was a an English teacher that I had called Miss Moran, 
she wasn't actually my English teacher uh, I wished she had been because everybody thought she was amazing she was the brand new teacher and she was sparky and um you know really extrovert and she just had loads of personality and I think as a 13 year old watching her come into our school in an English department that hadn't been like that I saw in her somebody that I wanted to be. And I think that was probably the first time at 12 or 13 when I saw it, saw her and thought, that's what I want to do. That's who I want to be. I want to be someone who can bring that kind of joy to young people and make learning that much fun and that much of an experience that actually changes your life and changes you, not just a lesson that you sit through. So I think she really sparked in me that enthusiasm and she nurtured me and mentored me and encouraged me. And I remember when I was about 14, she said, Rachel, you're going to change the world. And when you're 14, when someone says that to you, you know, you don't know if it's exaggeration or if it's just being really nice. But that that sense that somebody saw something in me that I could believe might be there and work on growing I think had a huge impact on me actually and I think now I'm the same age now as she was then um, and she tragically died she had um, a brain tumor and she, she died in her early 30s but I look back now and just think what impact she had in my life and she probably didn't even know it and that's the thing about teaching you have an impact in young people's lives when you don't even know the impact you're having yeah definitely I mean I think when you speak to most people um, they will point to a teacher who had an impact on them I think teaching is one of that those professions which is awfully difficult and has you know challenges but um, you are impacting on on young people's lives every single day um, and I think especially young people who need that extra support um, teachers can and do every day change lives I think yeah I completely agree yeah and so what learning curves did you experience early in your career and what have been the biggest challenges that you faced? Yeah, that's that's a really interesting one. So I think there's there's two parts to that, really, and maybe even three parts. The first part is challenges that I faced in terms of internal challenges, which I think are different to external challenges. So an internal challenge I faced was trying to work out if I was an introvert or an extrovert, which sounds like quite a ridiculous thing to try and work out. And I didn't realise at the time why it's so important, but actually... Um, since since growing up really and reading more about it I recognize now that extroverts get their energy from people and introverts often get their energy and recharge from being on their own and I was always an introvert but with extrovert um, appearance and so it took me a long time to work out why I had to sit on my own and read a book and why I had to go for walks on my own, why I didn't want at weekends to be with lots of people, why when there was lots of parties, I got nervous about going and didn't want to go in and speak to people. Even though when I got there and did speak to people, I loved it because I love people. So um, it took me a long time to work out that really. And it, and it sounds like such a stupid thing, but nobody at school told me about different personality types or how different people get their energy I just didn't know and so when people you know my, my brother would say oh you always got your head in a book as if that was kind of a weird thing but I understand now it, it was necessary for me to recharge my batteries and that's how I could go again so that was it that's a big internal challenge I think and the second big internal challenge is trying to work out what you do with feedback and what you do with people's opinion of you um, so as a child, I wanted people to like me. I wanted to help people. I wanted to kind of rescue people. I gravitated towards people who needed help. Perhaps that's why I'm a teacher, because part of my moral purpose, I think, is to reach out and to help. 
And so when you're a teenager with that kind of um, slant, it's often very misunderstood and people say that you're weird or that you know you're like a little mini adult and, and I think those things may have been said about me I think other things may have been said too like I was popular and I had lots of friends which I was as well but but trying to get feedback of kind of is it okay they think this is not right how do I live in my own skin who am I what am I willing to put up with and what am I not willing to put up with so a simple example was I, I didn't ever swear. Um, it would never been part of my family, so it just I'd never heard it. It wasn't part of my vocabulary, and I got really badly bullied for not swearing. And people would kind of gather around and shout, swear, swear, swear. And um, I had to make a decision at 14 years old that I'm not going to do that, because even though you all think that's what I should be doing, I don't want to, and I'm going to stand up for myself. And I think that's a really important skill, to stand up for what you believe and to not be bowed into doing what other people think is acceptable. And then the external thing in terms of my biggest challenge was actually nothing to do with my career, nothing to do really with my own internal workings. And um, I was knocked over by a car um, 12 years ago and uh, had both my legs broken quite severely, was told I probably wouldn't walk again and then had to learn how to walk again. And I was teaching at the time. The school were really shocked. It had a huge impact. It was all over the local paper. Um, it'd been a, a car accident. And um, so I learned how to walk again with a Zimmer frame and, you know, the whole lot didn't know how to make my legs work. And so I was off for about seven months and then I went back to school. I was told that I wouldn't walk properly for a year and I'd always be wearing it, having to have a stick with me. And that wasn't true. I went back after six or seven months, walked back into the classroom without a stick. I've never needed a stick since and found in myself huge levels of resilience that I didn't know I had. And also in that experience, I worked out who I was as a person that actually I'm still a teacher, even if you take away my classroom. I'm still a teacher, even if the kids aren't there for me to teach, I will find a way to teach because that is about who I am. So that was a huge personal challenge, but um, a moment which I, you know, basically never looked back. It changed the course of my life. It changed who I was as a person. And I'm grateful for that, really. Yeah, I can. It's um, interesting how everything you went through seems to be a defining moment of working out who you were and yeah. and what and all the, those challenges help you discover who you are, really, don't they? And, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and find that resilience in you, which is a yeah. really important skill to have. And um, I think you don't know how strong you are until you're tested. I think that's the thing. And, you know, we are tested on so many levels on so many different occasions. And I think using that to refine who you are and to work on yourself and to decide how it's going to push you further towards what you want in life is a really important thing, actually, and not to be a victim. Yeah, absolutely. And to keep pushing forward, even regardless of how hard it is, I think. And yeah, and people can do you're always stronger than I think you realise. Um, yeah. People are extraordinary. Yeah, totally agree. Absolutely. <laughs> so what what are I, so we've spoken about resilience. So what other key skills have you developed through your career and through your life that you think are particularly important for people to foster in themselves? Yeah, I think two things probably. I think one I've mentioned a little bit in terms of taking feedback. Mm -hmm. um, I, I believe that feedback is an absolute gift, but I, I think it's very hard to get it and I think it's very hard to act on it. I think if you as a human being can work out how to access feedback and to decide on how you're going to use it to shape yourself, I think it's a massive, massive gift. And I think people often get very defensive and don't want to hear it or um, say, you know, well, you can't say that about me because actually you're not that good either. And it can become quite attacking. 
but actually the simple thing about saying to somebody you know i think that i am prone to not being you know going enough do you see that in me and then generally listening to what they say and then deciding if you're going to act on the feedback or not is a really important leap i think often with feedback people assume if you give it to me i have to take it and that isn't how it is feedback works in that you ask something specific that you're trying to work on in yourself that you've seen you ask somebody else their opinion on it and then you decide if you take it on because not all feedback comes from a good place and not all feedback is helpful for what you want to be and i think that's it that's the thing i've learned really probably in the last five to seven years really really embraced that and not not found it difficult to receive you know i've wanted to go and find feedback wanted to go and find people who don't agree with me who don't like what i've done and ask them why not always going to the same people all the time who think yeah you're great what you're doing is amazing that doesn't actually help you grow it's lovely and we need it but it doesn't help us grow and then the second thing i think in terms of a skill much of it's a skill or not but um i think it's to be kind and to really love people and I think that is, is really what Pixel is based on, is being kind to ourselves and to other people and to really love people. It's why people talk about Pixel as a Pixel family, because we mean it. It's not tokenistic. If, if pe we find out someone is hurting, we respond because we hurt, because they hurt. If they celebrate, we celebrate, because that is what being in community is about. And I think in the world that we live in currently, and I think now is a, is a good time, kind of July 2020, when some of the wheels are falling off our world at the minute, at the bottom of it is a lack of kindness. Mm -hmm. And I think if we could all be kinder and if we could all go above and beyond what we think is acceptable to help other people and do our little bit, I think we would be in a far better place. And I don't think we need this meanness. I don't think we need mean spiritedness. I don't think we need to be making other people weak so that we look strong. I don't understand that. Um, we are all the same. We are all human beings who need and deserve to be treated well and with kindness. And I, I think that's a key aim really of what we've tried to do in Pixel and our work with schools is help people understand that's really important. Yeah, they definitely, I think, I think being kind is an underestimated skill really people I think people see um having to get forward in their career as kind of stepping on other people and yeah and going forward like that when in reality uh, you'll do yourself a lot better to build kind of genuine connections by being Absolutely. genuine and and yeah. kind to each other yeah. um and I'm wondering as you mentioned the pandemic how has pixel adapted and um continued that community feel throughout this pandemic um, I know you had a conference that I think had to go virtual. Yeah, we, we've gone virtual, we've done all kinds of things. So I think the, the very first thing, and I guess it links to, the, to what we've just said about kindness, really. The very first thing when the pandemic hit and we had to close all our offices, send everyone home, ask associates not to go into schools and go digital. The first question we asked was, how can we serve our schools? That was the question. No other question was of interest to me because as far as I was concerned, what I was seeing was all of these head teachers, all of these schools having to down tools in three days, go virtual with their curriculum, reach out to the community, comfort, encourage, support, think about free school meals for kids who didn't have any meals, fight the government for money, for laptops, for food. And it was really, really intense. And so the, the key thing for us was how can we help? How can we help serve you to serve your kids? And when we asked people, we surveyed people and said, what is it? What is it we can bring to you that you need? And 
people said you know a few things but what they said was encouragement and hope we need that we need encouragement and hope that we're going to get through this we need help on what we can do and strategies on what we can do quickly with young people so they're not sent home with, with it, without anything and we need some support together as a community so we started putting up these pop-up events called leadership live where we got everyone to kind of pop in and we had a talk about how's how all these head teachers coping five head teachers all talking about what they're doing we produced resource for young people we did resource for um, schools nationally and made that free for every school without um, whether they're in pixel or not and we um every week produced every tuesday communication that just tried to say we know how you feel we're with you if we can help you we will help you and that's what we did and at the same time we went virtual we stopped all our events we started doing things you know in our lofts and all kinds of things and the feedback from all of that has has been amazing but the feedback has been every single time thank you for understanding us thank you for helping us thank you for being there and that's that's the thing isn't it that's the, that's what human beings want in a crisis they want to know who is there who's got my back and you know what help can they can they offer and that's what we hope we've done is what we hope we'll continue to do definitely because i think this time has been an awfully difficult one for schools and i'm sure that that support and as you said hope and encouragement has been absolutely invaluable um i know that well we all should be very grateful towards our teachers i think at the moment shouldn't we during this time yeah, absolutely brilliant um so following on from from all of that what is your favorite and least favorite part of your role it can be a ah, difficult one <laughs> so much so much of it so much of it is favorite to be honest i think that ironically the thing that was one of my favorite bits was traveling so much i used to love spending so long on the on the train when i live in the northeast of england and was in london twice a week um because i got loads done i got loads done on the train felt really productive had a chat with the staff knew the staff on the train like oh you're back again so um I really enjoyed that but actually now it's my least favorite part because I haven't done it for six months and now I realize I don't need to do it all that traveling was a bit pointless really when you can do things via zoom or via you know other other mediums so I think that probably has become my, my least favorite part my most favorite part is and um, having any kind of communication with schools whether that's by email or main meetings either live or virtual or producing resource that I know will help young people or will end up in their hands I love that bit I think my least favourite bit is um, it's probably not being able to do as much as my imagination wants to do. <laughs> so, <laughs> there's only so many hours in the day and I've got a few small children. Um, you know, we, we are an organisation spread all over the country. Not everything can be done yesterday. And so I have to rein in sometimes my impatience to get things done. But, um, but even that is not an active issue because the team that I have around me are can-do people. So if I come up with an idea and they go, okay, we think that's a great idea too. We make it happen. And so I think that's, that's a brilliant thing. Um, but yeah, all, all the things that other people might say they don't like, like emails and, you know, writing to people. I love all of that. I absolutely love it all. So I'm, my job doesn't feel like it's a job. It feels like it's just my life and it's what I love to do. So I think it's sometimes hard to kind of sign on and sign off from work. It just, for me, it just doesn't stop in one sense. It's always in my heart. It's always in my mind. Um, so yeah I, I can't think of many bits of it that I don't like <laughs> <laughs> and that's always a good that's always a good thing when it's your career that's yeah. really excellent yeah. I, it, it's, it's interesting you 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 mentioned traveling because I remember from the conference don't you do something you you can uh, you persuade people to do something on the train when they're going home right is it yes we do that's yeah, like but... games on the trains yeah. yes <laughs> 
there's a games on the trains. Games on the trains. Now, when we went on trains, you know, back in the olden days. Um, so yeah, they have a little sheet to fill in and it basically says, while you're on the train, what are you going to make sure that you do by the time you get off the train? And so it might be things you need to talk to people about or things you need to download or conversations you need to have or thoughts you need to think a bit more about. And um, people, um, it's a big thing actually in Pixel, people take pictures of their games on the trains with their muffin and their cup of tea and then they tweet it and so we're all it's hashtag games on the trains yeah so we've um, done a different thing in lockdown we've done prepare from your chair instead oh, i love it <laughs> <laughs> no trains involved okay. i remember scrolling through twitter having a look at the games on the train yeah. it's quite it's quite entertaining <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, thank you. That's really brilliant. Um, so just to, that's been a really excellent conversation. So just to wrap it all up, um, what advice would you give to young people who are interested in working in a role similar to yours in the future? Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting one as well, because I think um, I can answer in terms of people want to go into teaching, which I you know would massively encourage. It's a wonderful profession. And then this kind of this bit that I'm doing now, which is kind of more CEO type role i guess um so i think i think whether you're a teacher or whether you end up in a role like mine where you are leading an organization of thousands of people i think the the three things i would say and and i guess these messages have come through so far as well the first thing would be decide why you're doing it decide what makes you tick that's the most important thing i decided i was very fortunate but i decided very early on in my life when i was 11 or 12 i want to make a difference to people and i want those people to be young i'm going to be a teacher because i want to make a difference and i knew that and that has the thing that's kept me going throughout my whole career and now too that hasn't changed even though my pathway has changed a little i want to make a difference i'm just doing it now in a different way so that's the first thing. The second thing I think about any career that you're going to go in is do get feedback. Ask people now when you're at school or at sixth form, what do you see in me? What skills do you see in me? What abilities do you see in me that I might not have seen in myself? And like Miss Moran did for me, where she said, I think you can change the world. You can, you've got a driven personality when you want something, you go for it you can make a difference and I believed her and then started deliberately pursuing that I think that's what you need to do so ask your teachers ask people who you are you know really respectful of and just say what do you see in me what do you see in me that I should be developing more of and just let that conversation just fester and kind of go around in your brain and then act on it and then the third thing is now while you are a teenager while you are still in school work on loving people work on accepting people work on valuing people for their difference work on accepting people who have very different views for you and learn how to listen properly not listen to to respond but listen to understand because whatever job you go into those things are crucial and nobody wants to employ an arrogant upstart who doesn't love people, doesn't listen to people and thinks they're pretty amazing. Nobody wants to employ someone like that. People want to employ people who are self-aware, who take feedback, who love other people and can see the value in others and want to promote others above themselves as well as doing a great job themselves. And I think if, if we had more young people practicing that earlier and understanding the significance of that earlier, then I think we'd have more people in fulfilling jobs. Um, so hopefully people are listening will also get into a job where they just love it. It's love it so much. It doesn't even feel like work and can be brilliant at it. So that's the advice that I would give, I think. <laughs>